I invite you to turn with me in your copy of the Holy Scripture to Ephesians chapter number 6, Ephesians 6 this morning. It was during the American Civil War that a Union soldier from Ohio was shot in the arm at the Battle of Shiloh. His captain saw that he was wounded and barked the order, give me your gun, private, and get to the rear. The private handed over his rifle and ran back toward the south, seeking safety. But after covering two or three hundred yards, he came upon another skirmish, so he ran to the east but yet into another part of the battle. Then he ran to the west, but encountered more fighting there. Finally, he ran back to the front lines, shouting, give me back my gun, Captain. There ain't no rear to this battle. I'm going to have to stand and fight. And so it is also in spiritual warfare, there is no rear to run to. There is no exit. There is no escape. We must stand. You see, we aren't the ones that should move. James chapter 4 verse 7 says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. But we cannot stand, we cannot resist in our own strength. Rather, we must be strong in the power of his might. Ephesians 6 verse number 10, according to his power that works in us. We're strong in the Lord. Yet at the very same time, we must do something. We must put on the whole armor of God, verse 11. We must take up the whole armor of God, verse number 13. For each part of the armor of God is a necessary resource that God has given to us so that we can stand. And the pieces of armor for the spiritual battle, we've learned these over the last many weeks. The belt of truth in verse 14. The breastplate of righteousness, also there in verse 14. The shoes of the gospel in verse 15. The shield of faith, verse number 16. And now this morning in verse 17a, the helmet of salvation. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we study his word. God in heaven, we humbly bow our heads and our hearts before you this morning asking for your aid, for your help, for your strength. God, we cannot stand alone. We cannot stand on our own. We need you to empower and equip us for battle. Or there's no escape. There's no running to the rear. There's no time out. And so we ask, God, that you would empower and equip your people in the spiritual warfare against the wicked one. Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand the helmets of salvation this morning that we might employ that in the spiritual warfare that we wage. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. At the risk of oversimplifying the reading of our text this morning, Ephesians 6, verse 17, take the helmet of salvation, I, I would begin by asking an elementary question, what is the helmet? What is the helmet? And I suggest the helmet is protection, A helmet is an important piece of body armor that protects your head. And if a helmet is necessary for contact sports like football or motorsports like NASCAR, certainly a helmet is necessary for warfare because a small abrasion to the head or a full concussion to the head or or even worse, an injury to the head is, is a dangerous problem. When I was a kid, 
I remember uh, my friend and I were working on our golf swing in the backyard. Now, I'm still working on my golf swing. And my, my golf swing is like the Christian life. I, I feel that there are moments of brilliance when I take a swing and I strike the ball and it goes where it's supposed to go. But yet there are other times when I'm wandering around in the woods and I'm, I'm not sure what went wrong, right? And, and that's... Uh, an analogy to life. But anyway, as I remember it, I was helping my friend with proper form in our golf swing as kids. And which, by the way, proper form is really what golf is about anyway, because you really have no control over where the ball goes. And so you might as well look good doing it, right? And so your your head down and your arms straight and your, your wrist contorted in such a way, your fingers interlocked and you do or don't bend your knees. I don't remember. But, but as long as you look good doing it, that's what golf is about. But the problem is that when my friend took his practice swing as we were working on our form, he missed the ball, as always, but he connected with my forehead, and I remember in that moment uh, feeling, the, of course, the striking pain, blood coming down my, my face, gushing down. And I know you want to insert a joke here about how that explains so much about me, but, um, but I have, I've got an injury to my head. It's no laughing matter. Um, I, I go to the hospital, and just above my hairline, or what used to be my hairline, um, <laughs> Lots of stitches to keep it all together, to keep it all inside there. And, um, and so we understand the, the danger and the vulnerability of a head wound or head injury. And Paul's analogy here, his illustration, needs no explanation. If you're going to battle, you need to wear a helmet. No soldier in his right mind, pun intended, would go into battle without a helmet. Spiritually speaking, we take the helmet of salvation for protection, of course. The word translated there in verse 17, to take. It's, it's not a participle. It's a full verbal imperative. Up to this point, Paul has been employing participles to describe how we must stand. We must stand by girding our waist with truth. We must stand by putting on the breastplate of righteousness. We must stand by shotting our feet with the gospel. We must stand by taking up the shield of faith. But here in verse 17, Paul reverts away from the participle back to the full verbal imperative that parallels the imperative in verse 14 to stand. So Paul says in in verse 14, number one, you stand, and now in verse 17, you take the helmet of salvation. He says you stand, verse 14, the verbal imperative, in these ways, these participles, by doing these things. But now in verse 17, he says you take the helmet's. And so as is the case in the the shield of faith, the the helmet of salvation is a genitive of apposition, um, meaning the helmet which is salvation, the shield which is faith, the helmet which is salvation, which really brings us to our second question, easy to answer, and that is what is the salvation, the helmet of protection, which is salvation, the salvation I'm gonna call a position, Salvation occurs when one puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. One who is dead in trespasses and sins is made alive by God's grace alone through faith alone. Ephesians 2 verse 1, Ephesians 2 verse number 8. Colossians 1 3 says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. There's a new position um, in, in our salvation. We who were once in a place of enmity, against God are now in a place of peace 
with God because we have believed the gospel message as those in Ephesus did, chapter one, verse 13. We are reconciled to God through the cross, chapter two, verse 16. These themes are threaded throughout the book of Ephesians and and we know this truth. But let's not be too quick or too simplistic. Salvation is more comprehensive than than the conversion of an unbeliever to a, a believer. You say, how so? I want us to consider, as we sang in the hymn, Complete in Thee, I want us to consider our salvation in three tenses or three aspects, the past, present, and the future. And you're familiar with these things, but allow me to review them for us again this morning. The past aspect of our salvation, we have been saved from the penalty of sin. And that is the matter of justification. Justification is the act by which God declares a sinner to be righteous when that sinner believes. The Bible tells us that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him or credited to him for righteousness. That's justification. There is no work that you can perform on your own to achieve your own salvation through your own righteousness, but rather God declares you righteous when you call on the name of the Lord in faith. Romans 5 verse number 1, we are justified through faith. If you have never before trusted in Jesus Christ for your personal salvation, you've never been declared righteous, you've never been justified, then I would urge you to ask me today how that you can be saved today by faith. That's justification. For our purposes this morning, I am not convinced that the helmet of salvation refers to this past aspect of one's salvation. That is, I do not believe that the helmet of salvation that we put on for protection is speaking of one's conversion or one's being saved, at the least not only to this aspect of salvation. And let me explain this for you, tell you why. The Ephesians' salvation was well established early in this letter in chapters one and two. The readers of this letter are already saved. We are now late into chapter six, nearly the end of the letter. Furthermore, if the reader has been putting on the whole armor of God here in chapter six, beginning in verse 11, they are taking up the whole armor of God, chapter six, verse 13. They're wearing the first four pieces of the armor that we've discussed over the last few weeks that, that are listed in verses 14, 15, and 16, then I would say to you that that one is already saved because you don't get saved fifth. You get saved first, your position first in Christ. Furthermore, if you are standing in the strength of the Lord, if you are standing in the power of his might, if you are outfitted with this, this armor, then justification is not your issue at this point. You are already a believer. You've already been justified. Therefore, I would like to suggest that the helmet of salvation is something different than the past aspect of salvation or that justification. Let me offer you letter B, the present aspect. The present aspect of our salvation could be described as as that we are being saved from the power of sin. And we know this as sanctification, The Bible speaks of our salvation in this way in the present tense. We are being saved. 1 Corinthians 1.18, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 2 Corinthians 2.15, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved. And in the context of Ephesians 6, 
Paul is describing the Christian's long, I'm sorry, lifelong experience in battle against the wicked one. And so it's quite reasonable for us to understand the helmet of salvation, not as referring to justification, but as referring to sanctification, this present aspect of our salvation. And Paul wants us to know that that's the reader. And that's us today. He wants us to know. He wants us to experience the realities, the present realities of our position in Christ, of our salvation. And that is the resurrection power of God in our lives because of our salvation. We struggle with the flesh, the world, the devil, but yet we are empowered to live victorious before God because of our position in Christ. So let me let me give you an illustration. If I were to modify the helmet of salvation, this is just an illustration. I mean, no violence to the text, but if we were to change Paul's illustration from a helmet of salvation to a thinking cap, all right? And every one of you who's ever sat in a classroom with a teacher along the way have been instructed, students, put on your thinking cap because right now in this moment, I want you to pay attention. You need to engage in what I'm teaching. You need to understand the lesson. So students, put your thinking cap on and follow me. Paul is saying, put your thinking cap on and think about the supernatural power that you have to live victorious in Jesus Christ because of your salvation, because of your position. Take up the helmet of salvation. Put your thinking cap on and realize who you are in Christ. All right, turn back quickly to chapter one, verse 15. Chapter one, verse 15. Let's trace some of this uh, a bit. Chapter one, verse number 15, Ephesians 1, 15. Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, this is justification, you have been saved, Ephesians, the past aspect. Look at verse 16. I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. Verse 19, we are believers and we have this exceeding greatness of his power. Well, how powerful is his power in us? According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. The helmet of salvation is the resurrection power to stand in battle. Look at chapter three, verse 20. Now to him who is able, chapter three, verse 20 to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think according to the power that works in us. The resurrection power is the power we have in the present tense, in real time, today, as a believer in Jesus Christ. Of course, if we jump to chapter six again, verses 10 and 11, be strong in the Lord, the power of his might so that we might be able to stand I think the present realities of our salvation are part of the helmet. The helmet, which is salvation, justification, sanctification, but there's there's even more. How about this? Let us see the future aspect. We will be saved, future. We will be saved from the presence of sin. 
And that's what we would call glorification. There's justification, sanctification, glorification. And justification, letter A, ultimately always leads to glorification, letter C. Romans 8, 29 and 30. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. So by way of summary, I've written there at the top of your notes this statement, our salvation isn't just the forgiveness of sin's penalty. we're, We're grateful for that, no doubt about that. Or the victory over sin's power. That's our our present sanctification. We're grateful for that. It is ultimately the deliverance from sin's presence for all of eternity. That is the hope of the believer. Someday sin and all of its consequences, namely death, will be fully and finally eradicated and we will spend eternity with Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the believer's hope. And I would suggest this morning that when Paul is describing the helmet of salvation, and when he tells us to take up the helmet of salvation, he is telling us to be armed, here you go, with the blessed hope of the Christian. The hope of our salvation is the helmet of our salvation. I don't have it for you there in your notes, but you need to write it down. The hope of our salvation is the helmet of our salvation. And I make the case this morning that the helmet of salvation is that future aspect For these reasons, write it down. The hope of our salvation is the helmet of our salvation. And I make that case because of what Paul wrote in another letter to another church, the Thessalonians. Turn just a few pages to the right. A few pages to the right, I think you'll find Thessalonians. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. In 1 Thessalonians 5, the the context, Paul's writing of the rapture of the church, the blessed hope of the believer, and he's writing of the period of time that would follow the rapture in which God would judge the earth. We know it as the tribulation. The early verses of 1 Thessalonians 5 describe the the sudden and surprise destruction that will come upon many, but but not for the Thessalonians because they were walking in the light. Verses 4 and 5, 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5. And consequently, he exhorts these believers to be watchful, soberly hopeful for their deliverance from the wrath to come because in verse number nine, 1 Thessalonians 5 verse nine, God is not destined to us for wrath, but to obtain salvation. That's the future aspect through our Lord Jesus Christ. But I skipped verse number eight. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse eight, look there. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Folks, I submit to you this morning that the helmet of salvation is the hope of our salvation, the future aspect of our salvation. Titus 2.13 calls us to be looking for that blessed hope and the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The hope, I'm sorry, the helmet of our salvation is not just getting saved. The helmet of our salvation is not simply being saved. The helmet of our salvation is the hope, the future tense, when we will be saved from the presence of sin for all of eternity. So as you stand against the wicked one and you put on the helmet of salvation, here's what you need to think. You need to think of the glories that will yet follow. You are positionally in Christ. That's justification. 
You are equipped with resurrection power for victory today. That's sanctification. But it gets better and better because someday you will be glorified and apart from any assault of Satan. So that brings us to the third question, then what does it do? What does this helmet of salvation do for us? What's it accomplish for us today? It promises, it promises. What does it promise? It promises us the victory. Maybe write that down. It promises us the victory and we endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ because folks, the battle will be won and what God has promised will be ours. So by way of conclusion here in the final few minutes, I'd like to borrow from the example of the Old Testament saints listed in Hebrews 11. So we need to go there. Hebrews chapter 11. We, of course, are familiar with Hebrews 11, the great chapter, the hall of faith. These Old Testament saints. And I want to suggest, what is this helmet of salvation, the hope of salvation, future tense? What does this do for us And I'm going to suggest first that it makes the heart bold. It makes the heart bold. Now think of your heart when fear grips it and it flutters and it shrinks away. You're afraid to stand. But it will give boldness to the heart. And and I want us to think of Abraham. Abraham is cited here in Hebrews 11. Of course, we know that God told Abraham, get out of your country, Abram from your family, from your father's house to a land that I will show you. God promised Abraham, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you, I'll make your name great. You shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That was God's promise to Abram, the the Abrahamic covenant, we know it. And, And you know what? Abram believed it. Abram followed it. Look at Hebrews 11, verse number eight. By faith, in what he could not see, Abram obeyed when he was called, this is Hebrews 11, verse eight, when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance in the future. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise, for he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. It was faith. It was the evidence of things hoped for that made Abraham's heart bold to do what God had called him to do. I think of Pilgrim and um, John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. And there, the Pilgrim journeyed to the celestial city But where did he find the courage to trust and obey? Because of the promise, the hope of that celestial city, of that eternal salvation. And the courage of your heart and the boldness of your heart is because of the hope of heaven, folks. When you are battling tooth and nail against the wicked one, and you are shaking in your boots and your heart is rattled, where do you find the strength, the, the boldness, the courage? It's in the hope of your salvation. Hope makes the heart bold. Secondly, hope makes the eyes see. 
Hope makes the eyes see. I want you now to think of Moses. Moses was born as a Hebrew slave, but he was raised as an Egyptian prince. Yet look at Hebrews 11. You have it open before you. Hebrews 11, verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. How did he come to that conclusion? Look at it. For he looked to the reward. He looked to the future. And hope made his eyes see past the sinful pleasure to what awaited him. And folks, when you do battle against the wicked one and he is tempting you through your eye gate and what he is holding before you looks so good, It looks so pleasurable. It looks so satisfying. Certainly, this will fulfill me now. Hope, the future tense of your salvation, looks past the moment of temptation to eternity. And so it is that Moses looked to the reward. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible the eyes of faith. It was faith or the evidence of things hoped for that made Moses' eyes look past the sinful pleasures to the eternal reward of an unseen God. Look to verse 32, Hebrews 11, verse 32. But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings. Jump to verse 35. Therefore, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong chapter. Um, chapter 11, verse 32, here we go. Hebrews 11, verse 32, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, also of David, Samuel, the prophets. Now jump to verse 35. Women received their dead, raised to life. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mocking, scourgings, yes, of chains and imprisonments. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskin and goatskin, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. And all of these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise yet in their lifetime. But I would suggest, let her see, hope makes the pain light. The struggle, the suffering the persecution. And folks, this was the, the testimony of Paul. He, he called his suffering a momentary light affliction when compared to what he was looking forward to. He knew that he was living in this earthly house or tent, that it would be destroyed, but he had a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. That was his hope. And this morning, I would declare to you that it is much easier to endure hardship as a good soldier when you're thinking of home, right? In fact, that's been the testimony of so many soldiers over the the centuries. What sustained you in battle? I just thought of home and my desire to go home 
to be home, yet future. And our home, of course, is with the Lord for eternity. It's much easier to endure hardship as a good soldier when we are wearing the helmet of hope, the future tense of our salvation, the hope of our salvation. Perhaps we need to go back and ask our first question again. What is the helmet of salvation? Certainly, it must begin with justification. No doubt about it. Certainly, it would include our growing in sanctification, living in light of the, the, the blessed hope and the glorious appearing, but, but ultimately, I think it's a future look, folks. And so often, we get tunnel vision, we're consumed by today, the material matters and circumstances of today, and we're doing battle against the wicked one, and we, we lose hope, don't we? It's hopeless. What's the point? I just fail over and over again. I'm powerless. Let me encourage you to look ahead, to think about life after life or life after death. Think about the promise of everlasting life in heaven with Jesus and endure as a good soldier of Jesus Christ because someday we're going home. Let's pray. God in heaven, we are battle-weary. We are worn. Lord, it appears to us that there's no retreat, there's no escape, there's no running to the rear to escape the conflict. And so we purpose to stand We purpose to stand in the strength of the Lord and the power of his might. We purpose to to stand by putting on these pieces of armor and we purpose to take the helmet of salvation. Lord, we're thankful for our justification. We're thankful for the sanctifying work of the Spirit of God within us. But Lord, may we look forward to the day when victory, final victory will be ours. When you call us to glory, You glorify us, and you deliver us from the presence of sin for eternity. I pray for my brothers and sisters that you would help them, help us to think in these ways. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.